Interdisciplinary POL's Healthcare Podcast, Season 7, Episode 2, S7E2, if you will. Although, don't, I don't, it doesn't, it's not very catchy. Uh, so, we are here to uh, do, as, as they used to say in my corporate, corporate life, do a hot wash on the uh, IMTRC, or the International Massage Therapy Research Conference. So we're gonna debrief and process and decompress and all the things, and uh, hopefully help you feel like you were there, or maybe make you feel like you're glad that you listened to this maybe instead, who knows? Uh, And of course, we'll start with a pun, which comes to us today, courtesy of a uh, trustee of the Massage Therapy Foundation, a friend and colleague, Adrian Asta. And really, I think it fits well for today's episode because, you know, earlier today I got some ketchup on my glasses and uh, now I have the benefit of hindsight. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Adrian. Adrian, she does bring the puns. She really does. Yes, Yes, she does. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. So there was there was some serious slack chatting before this episode about how to organize our thoughts and uh, organization of thoughts is not typically my strong suit. So I'm going to I feel like I'm going to punt it to uh, to Corey, maybe who seemed to have some ideas about how to do that and uh, to at least give us a sense of where should we start? How should we start? Was it was a very full two days. It, it was, and the big question in Slack, for those of you who weren't there, <clears throat> um, was whether it's more useful for us to tell you about the research itself or whether it's more useful for us to tell you about the conference itself. And I think we sort of decided on a mix between the two. So uh, if threads seem a little disparate today, that's probably why. <laughs> also, Indeed. I am recovering from you know, three days of personhood and a slight hangover from all of the people. Uh, So this should be a good time. Rebecca wanted to talk about um, being in person again. Yeah, exactly. Because I did not go to the conference. I was was, um, holding down the virtual fort uh, along with Carrie Jordan. And as you heard on last week's episode, we weren't too upset by that, but <laughs> um, I was curious about what it what it felt like. So I was at the last Imtrick before the pandemics, um, and so I was curious what it felt like to be in meat space again, um, and if you have any thoughts about the the value of that, how that uh, how that can help or not our relationships with our colleagues. Well, I think certainly from a networking standpoint, in-person is so useful. Either either tagging along with somebody that you know who can then introduce you to someone else or striking up a conversation with a complete stranger in the elevator and creating a whole new relationship. There is just incalculable value in being with other people in the same meet space. And as somebody who really enjoys meeting people, I loved it. I, I think maybe Corey has slightly different, <laughs> so, so, so a slightly different perspective. Let's, let's say right now that I don't, I don't dislike people exactly. Um, I just get overwhelmed really quickly, and I, um, as soon as there's more than like four people in a conversation, I tend to stop talking because I'm listening. And then, um, and then I don't contribute anything and I don't like get my agenda out or any of those things. And then I walk away and I'm like, you know, that wasn't what I was here to do. And that's not what I'm supposed to do. And like, I feel like I didn't quite nail that interaction because I wasn't interacting. Um, but the, the handy thing as an introvert at a uh, large conference like this is to have a Cal Cates who can like, direct people towards you and they can be like you should go talk to this one person or be like I brought this one person to you so that you can talk to them at your table <laughs> in a rather calm fashion um so to any introverts like find 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 one of those and hang on for the ride very useful yeah i i feel the same i mean i think that there are definitely i was exhausted after um and i i mean i think even you know, I don't want to go too far down the introvert extrovert rabbit hole, but um, 
you know, in a nutshell, I think people think that introverts are shy and that's not exactly what it is. I think Corey really hit it on the head that like Corey likes people, but a lot of people are a special kind of exhausting. Uh, and I, I definitely was energized by being around so many people, but I also, I feel like, so I started going, uh, let's, let's say I'm an avid, avid conference goer. Uh, and in some ways, I think it's a really, it's a tall order for any organization to create a conference that doesn't feel kind of like the last conference. Um, and having been to now Imtrick since Seattle, which I think was maybe three Imtricks ago, it's kind of the same every time. You know, there are a few different speakers, but honestly, not so many. Um, and whether it's the specific people or the organizations that are represented, um, the the sort of everything plenary, everybody watching the same thing uh, is it has its pros and cons. And I think that uh, it definitely, I mean, there are people that this for me was my first like sort of big gathering uh, since we all took that forced moratorium. And uh, there were people that I was just so, so glad to see in person. And, um, and that even though we had had Zoom meetings and things, um, it was it was different and more effective to be in the same physical space together. And it was really fun that we met and hired Corey during COVID and had never met her actually. So that was super fun to go pick this person up at the airport that I'd never actually seen with my eyes in the real world um, and to get to hang out. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there are pros and cons to the to the virtual and to the live and uh, yeah, for what it's worth, I feel like. This is a good exercise at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm curious also about the, uh, Callie, you had started to mention this, like the content of the conference. Um, Cause as someone who was not there, all I got was like titles of titles and speaker names, which could mean anything as I've learned from previous conferences. And I'm, I'm curious about your, your hot takes, cold takes, lukewarm takes heated back up in the oven um, <laughs> <laughs> about the information that was actually presented there. Uh, so Cal and I got home day one and Carrie was like, how did it go? And I think both our reaction was like, um, yeah, <laughs> it was sort of, I like Cal said, I, I was at the last Imtrek and it felt much the same. Um, and I don't know, like the VA is always there and that's great, but they tend to give the same information and that's not great. Um, I, it's always hard to tell sort of who the conference is for exactly. Like, is this for people who are excited about research and maybe not that far into the rabbit hole? Is it for people who are like in and past the rabbit hole and have made it to Wonderland and are looking for new corners and ideas and how do you do both at the same time which seems to be what they were attempting um and in that case like you're kind of always like i guess there's something for everyone but you're also kind of going to disappoint everyone at the same time yeah i feel um, like that was that was my major you know i filled out my my survey this morning and um i spent quite a, quite a while on it uh, i hope they're interested in some feedback <laughs> um but you know the the red thread through most of my feedback was sort of I was listening with two ears the whole time as a person who has gone to a bunch of these and who's actively involved in research and all of the nuts and bolts. And, and I loved the thing on the last day, which I know we'll get to where Jeff Bove basically said, it's real messy. It's real hard. And that's why nobody does it because here's all the things that are hard about it. But I was listening with that, those ears, but then also really aware that they were, um, because we went around and did our vlog and I got to talk to lots of people who were there who were either students or who had been practicing a long time and felt like, oh, geez, I guess I really should like get on the research bandwagon. And I thought, you know, it, I don't envy MTF uh, having the task of trying to create an event that is in fact addressing two very different audiences or trying to. And then the additional, I'll just say hindrance of doing it with AMTA's direct involvement that AMTA is an association that is about sort of attendance and kind of getting the word out and they're not subject matter experts in the area of research. And so with AMTA really directly involved in creating 
this event, you could sort of feel that influence and it, it made it hard, like you said, Corey, to know what kind of event is this? Is this like a, like a cheerleading session for research or is this like a research conference? And, you know, um, we were talking with some other colleagues about, is it a research conference or is it a conference about research? And while that seems like a, a niggly semantic difference, it's actually, I think it was one of the primary tensions throughout the event. Yeah, I, I echo what Corey and Cal have said that this was my very first time to go to Trek, And so it was interesting to see how they were, I think they were trying to hit all of those points and kind of have a little something for everybody. And that, that left you wanting more and possibly excited about it or left you wanting more in a way that you were disappointed that you didn't get what you wanted. And I would surmise that we weren't the only people who felt like that. Um, and certainly by the end of, of the several presentations about uh, how massage may be beneficial for oncology uh, treatments. Yes, I'm, I'm already on that bandwagon. <laughs> So let's, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, but, and then some of the presentations really were for me fascinating. The, the you know, I have been interested in, in trauma and veterans and that really, for me, lit a fire, which was great. I mean, I really want to take steps to further that for myself and for Heal Well. So I think in that regard, it was very useful for me and hopefully for, for other attendees. That's, that is, that is very exciting for me because I commented on both of the VA presentations that like, yep, massage is good for veterans. We've known this for a long time. Like every one of these events, whether it's hosted by a massage organization or a research organization, everybody's saying massage is good for vets. And, um, you know, the, um, I thought that there were some really great, uh, there was some great information about, um, you know, I really enjoyed, um, Dr. Hahn's presentation where she, you know, involved um, anecdotes and, uh, you know, her pictorial representation from veterans who were trying to describe what it's like to have PTSD. Uh, that, I mean, that alone sort of as much as possible saved the first day, which I found disheartening on a number of levels. And I, I feel like it was disheartening because in some ways that have nothing to do with MTF or AMTA, but like the keynote speaker was uh, from NCCIH, um, which used to be NKM, for those of you who've been messing around with this for a long time. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of new information, again, for somebody who has been paying attention to this for a long time. But also there was a real, you know, looking at it now through a different lens as we've done so much more work around white supremacy and equity and just sort of the language in the healthcare world that, you know, there's this really like laughable, like I actually um, hope that I didn't snort audibly a couple of times because he said things that are NCCIH messaging, which is that like, you know, we might have something to learn from indigenous cultures and their healing practices. Do you think so? That's amazing. How innovative. And it's not his fault. It's not, you know, like I, I want to be really clear. You should have someone from NCCIH speak. But NCCIH should really be looking at how white they are and sort of how like, this is part of why we can't move forward because we're just now considering that maybe practices that have been used for centuries are something we should be considering in our really multicultural world and patient population. And, and that really it wasn't like, this is the major push that we're giving to this, but we're, we're thinking about it you know, and we've been thinking about it. And as we look at our HEAL initiative and the whole health initiative through the VA, like these are really great ideas that we're going to have to give up some stuff to actually make these like, you know, have some traction. And there's no conversation I feel like about that. Yeah. So the, so, um, that nice human who was sitting directly next to me, um, <laughs> uh, was very clearly like handed a PowerPoint and then told to go talk. Like whoever he is personally did not come out in his speech and was probably not supposed to. Um, 
And like my take on it was <laughs> that whoever made that PowerPoint and then gave him the notes for it didn't really think about who they were presenting to because there was a lot of like integrative medicine is the next step and is key. And again, it was sort of like, right. Yes, it's 2022 and you're talking to massage therapists and like, we know we're, we're aware, like, and we want to like get in there and get involved. And there wasn't information about that. And even the information that was available, um, talking to some of our colleagues later, like that, um, they're interested in funding people and helping people get PhDs is apparently just not true at all. Um, although it's presented as though it is true and they're very philanthropic and like ready to do those things. And we, I, we talked to someone who was like, I was all of those things, you know, seven years ago and they had this program and they didn't want me because I'm a massage therapist. So, so there was like at the same time of like, this is new and great and amazing and you should participate, but we don't really want you to participate. We just want to tell you that it's new and great and we have these ideas and that like, it's consistent messaging, but <laughs> it's, it's not brand new for sure. Well, and we're still using this, this catchphrase integrative medicine. And, you know, he talked in his presentation about integrative medicine modalities and it's like, okay, so the word modalities, like we can have a whole episode about why that sucks. Um, but also that integrative medicine is a way of practicing care. It's not like, you know, you can have massage and acupuncture and pet therapy and all these other things, and it's still not integrative. You know, the, the key is that these practitioners respect and work together to create better outcomes for patients. And I feel like that there's just sort of this idea like, oh, well, we acknowledge that these non-mainstream modalities exist, but there's not a lot of work being done to really bring those practitioners from those disciplines to the table. I mean, acupuncture is killing it because they... I think because they go through a heck of a lot more schooling than we go through and they've really mobilized as a profession to do the research that's necessary and get into the system in a way that it's much more integrated than certainly than massage might be and definitely than other things that get thrown under that giant umbrella of quote integrative medicine. Well, it may be just because I binge watched the great British Bake Off recently, but I was thinking about when, when they were talking about the whole person, right. And the way that it was presented as if this was a new concept and like the feeling I had in the room was we were all kind of like, yeah, <laughs> but you know, in, instead of baking a whole person of being carefully measured and thinking this out and planning it and how is this going to interact with that ingredient so forth and so forth it was just more like throw everything in the pantry in the bowl mix it up throw it in the oven let's see what happens was the sense that I got well yeah and I I feel like you know one of the notes I made was that and that that is a detriment mm -hmm. that that's sort of like if we put everything together and the person does better then how do we know what made them better who cares? Like, and this, I feel like is a very capitalistic approach that, well, if it wasn't the massage, then we don't include massage. If it wasn't the, the dietary consultation, then we don't include that. And it's like some people, and I think, you know, Brent Bauer pointed to it in his presentation the next day, where when you have a full suite of services, not every patient is going to want everything. And that's absolutely true. But do you just not have one of those things because not every patient wants it or because for some patients, because of maybe their touch history or because of whatever, they don't want massage or maybe they're afraid of needles. And even though acupuncture needles are different than hypodermic needles, like it, it just, it feels very much like a, well, let's just make sure we know who's on top. And this is why it's hard to do this research because if it turns out that it's all valuable, well, then who's the boss? And it's never actually quite said like that, but it definitely feels like, a, well, we're not really sure how these things all fit together. And it, it's a, it's a challenge for research. And it's like, no, I think it's actually a challenge for the structure that's been created or that research has grown up in. And, and it goes back to funding issues, you know, metric driven funding. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, one of the tables we were looking at massage actually came out percentage wise as a highly requested service, as opposed to acupuncture, acupressure. So if you're just looking at those numbers, then massage is going to get more funding. And then again, you, you lose that value of what uh, Cal was just talking about. Of Well, some people may not have a great history touch, touch history with massage. They would actually prefer acupuncture. There is value in both. 
And again, going back to this idea of it's, it's in a capitalistic system. And how do we work within this system? It, that, that kind of speaks to a question that maybe maybe you have already answered and I just um, haven't been listening very well, but I would love to hear more of your thoughts on, because um, like the world is, well, the world isn't different. It's just, I think that our eyes are different um, now, especially after the last two years, if you've been paying attention, your eyes are different and your heart is different. Um, and I, wondered if this conference would be would acknowledge that in any way um oh i'm seeing a lot of you know i i honestly yeah. thank you I, I think you really hit what was so globally disheartening for me about the whole event is that it was exactly like the pandemic had never happened there was some reference to people doing research around long COVID and things like that but no real acknowledgement of like um I think there probably was like a, yay, we're back together physically, but there was no like, I don't know if you have like a moment of mourning or whatever you have, but just, there was no sense that it was like back to normal. Everything's just, it's, we're just going to keep doing research the same. We're going to keep meeting the same. We're going to like, just whew, thank God we don't have to think or feel any of those things that we were forced to think and feel over the last two years. In including wearing masks, I would like to point out. That Definitely. Was, um, super disheartening absolutely uh, yeah it was a real mixed bag in terms of mask wearing um yeah yeah i didn't i didn't I, I didn't really know what to think about that um i mean except that i was like wow i mean ostensibly everyone here is is in healthcare in some way i mean again takes us back to the question of how many massage therapists think of themselves as healthcare providers but you know, the hotel didn't have any signage, obviously, because everybody has decided that, you know, masks aren't important. But I feel like a lot of us are here because we work in situations with like compromised people. And, and, um, and I, I did feel possibly projected a sense of like, it was this, the weaklings and the like reactionary people who had masks on and that, you know, people who didn't have masks were like, yeah, like who needs a mask anymore? And I'm like, oh, all of us, we all, we all need it. And I, I wonder how many people did go home with um, not only a bag of notepads and things, but COVID. That will be an interesting question to, um, I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious too about something that, that you kind of um, called earlier, the difference between a research conference and a conference about research um, or, or a conference about how to do research. Um, and if I'm understanding the distinction correctly, that that a research conference is is more about people presenting their actual work, research work. Um, and I wonder if there is, what are your thoughts on, is there a demand and a space for that kind of a conference um, that really is very clearly people have gone and done this work and want to talk about how they did it. So I, I would say that people went and did the work and came to talk about how they did it. And the piece that was just completely absent from the entire conference was a discussion about what they did. There was no, so research is not, It's not an answer, right? It's like, it's a person asking questions who then asks more questions and like does some things and finds some solutions and then asks more questions, right? It's it's an iterative process. Like we just keep asking more questions and there were no questions allowed <laughs> at this conference. There weren't, they were not allowed. There were not even yeah. microphones. The Q&A right. was not built into the schedule. It was like presentation, presentation, presentation. There was in oh. fact an emphatic declaration that there would be no questions at it, one point. Wow. And I think there were at least two or three speakers who were expecting to have that time yes. and were a little caught off guard that there wasn't. I, okay, if this was a video like podcast, you all would like see my uvula right now because my mouth is hanging so far. Wow. Well, and honestly, I feel like that would have been a step they could have taken to combine these two tasks of like inviting people who are new to research into the conversation and inviting people who have been doing research to share more about it. And I think 
that room, there are roughly 200 attendees. It was full of people who were doing research who weren't up on the podium. And one of the things that I think gets to happen when you have microphones and people can ask questions is the other people at the conference see that there are other people doing research. And like the people who are newish might feel like they can approach somebody who went to the microphone, but who was, but are intimidated by somebody who was like at the podium. And that cross-pollination doesn't get to happen. And I think that um, it would have been really great to have some massage therapists who don't know much about research, ask the quote unquote stupid questions and have people in the room go, oh, like a presenters be like, right, I need to speak at a level that everyone can understand, or at least help me connect the relevance of what I'm doing to the people in this room. Um, and to just kind of give us all a, a sense of like, where are we as a profession in terms of understanding this stuff? Because I think there was a lot of cheerleading and a lot of sort of like, look how far we've come. And you know, I was joking with Corey that if you're wearing a pedometer and you're chasing your tail, it still logs 15 miles, right? Even though you're just like, you've just worn a hole in this one spot. And so it's not that we haven't done anything, but the idea that we've made like so much progress, it was kind of, um, that was the sense I got that, that the organizers were trying to convey that like, we've come so far and I'm like, we've definitely come far in some ways, but like, don't relax everybody because we got, we got a lot to do. Well, um, I, I would love to also hear about the, the sort of what I think of as the conference extras, you know, like there's, there's all the tables that are set up outside and the posters. Um, and I don't know what else was the, um, as Cal Cates mentioned several times, surprisingly vegetarian lunches and, <laughs> Yes. Um, and I wondered if uh, if there was anything in there you you saw or experienced that that uh, caught your I attention. I saw a, a blank space where Rebecca Sturgeon's book used to be. That got oh, totally that's right. Out like halfway through the first day. That's right. So that that's was not why cool. I asked the question, but thank you. <laughs> it was very exciting. Thank it you. was. Yeah, that is exciting. Um, but other than that. <laughs> Well, as I was, as I was doing my, my survey this morning, I was thinking about exactly this and the sort of like uh, having drummed up sponsorship for events myself, I know that you start to think, well, these guys are tangentially related and they'll probably want to be there. Let's, but like, why is rock tape at a research conference? Like, why is, why were there like spa companies? Um, like, I think franchises it probably makes sense for them to be there because like they're hopefully like, I mean, talk about practice-based research network possibilities. Like let's be as high-minded as possible and think like, that's why we had some, some franchises there. But I thought there were like sort of just product sales that felt not like it just didn't match what this was theoretically supposed to be. Yeah. I'm not sure who I thought should have been there necessarily. But um, it felt really AMTA convention. Like, do you want a space? We have a space. You could totally set your stuff up and come and be around the people. Um, there was a rather glorious moment that I continued to relive and um, honestly made my husband read when I got home of a, um, these two note cards that got put on our table near the end by a person I've never seen before, um, had no idea who they were. And it was um, an advertisement that we found out later the uh, conference knew nothing about. Um, and it was for a um, website, which I'm not going to promote, um, that had just an incredible amount of misspellings and missing commas and it misused words and told you about how to find your organs or come to our website to learn how to find your organs and whether or not they have pressure and my first thought was wow i hope they do um yeah. for your sake yeah um, it's gonna be real problematic if my organs don't have any pressure <laughs> it just isn't any um and it was it was every it was every massage therapy thing that i hate um just all rolled into one two-sided like four by six card. Um, it had incredibly generic clip art and images. I don't know what it was for exactly. 
Um, it used phrases like, uh, oh, what were they? Um, I'm particularly interested in that because I was thinking as you were talking about all the things it was missing, the word science kept coming um, to my mind. <laughs> um, as to what was missing. Yeah. Yeah. It and, was um, like, oh, it, it was something about, wait, hang on. I have it here. Lucky us. Um, oh, yeah. How to break off crystalline and calcification oh, around stiff and locked up joints. Yep. I was well, there. And there's like the about, inside of my body is a cave and I have stalactites. I think that's, that's what it okay, is. Cool, yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, and I, I couldn't decide if this was like everything that I expected coming to this conference or like the thing that I didn't expect at this conference, like if yeah. it was the thing I expected at all the other ones. And I thought it would be missing here. And I was, I was very incorrect. <laughs> My, my big irony moment was I was strolling down the promenade of all of the um, uh, vendors there with another hospital-based massage therapist, and we stopped at the aromatherapy table and who, you know, touting their amazing products and they're good for this and that and this and that. And the therapist that I was with asked and said, I have a problem with these claims. And one of the problems is that every time someone asks for the scientific data to back up these claims, we're met with the response of this is proprietary information and we can't give it out. And then, of course, this person kind of spun and backpedaled and pivoted and tried to make all the cases for why they can't actually give out the information. But if it's with a certain kind of organization, then they will provide the information to back up these claims. And I'm looking around saying, and what kind of conference are we at? A research conference? Who knew? Yeah. So that, that, that disheartened me. Well, and, you know, knowing some people, because I think like the Society for Oncology Massage um, had a person who was a, I don't know what the credentialing is, but who clearly had studied the history and science of aromatherapy. And she did this really incredible presentation that helped me understand sort of where and when this is valuable. And that if you have really studied aromatherapy, these oils and these, these tinctures are like medicine. Yeah. And so why would you just sell somebody a bottle of some kind of medicine and just be like, here you go. If you use this, it'll be great for blah, blah. Well, what does that mean to use it? Do I drink it? Do I put it on something? Do I mix it with other stuff? Like, I just, I feel like I feel like it also points back to the lack of sustainability of a career in massage therapy and that massage therapists add things to what they offer so they can upcharge and so they can make a living, which, you know, I don't fault massage therapists for trying to pay their bills, but it, it keeps distracting us from looking at the fact that massage therapists don't really make enough money to live. Um, and as you say, at a research conference, because the thing I thought you were going to say, because this is the other thing I often hear when you challenge folks who are selling essential oils is this is like a centuries old art. We don't, you know, we don't need randomized controlled trials to demonstrate the impact of this, which feels similarly like, wow, I really have to go because I don't like to hit people. Right. And, and I, I want to be clear, I am not poo-pooing the idea of aromatherapy. I think it has a lot of value. I think there is a lot of good research out there about its efficacy and the different ways it can be incorporated into a practice and massages. But the, yes, for me, it was the, well, I can't possibly give you this information because you're not the right organization or you're not X, Y, and Z. And you just have to take my word for it. At the research conference. At the research conference. At the research conference. <laughs> That's right. Well, and who was it? One of the speakers, it might have even been Dr. Murray, the opening guy from NCCIH, who said something about, he sort of briefly acknowledged misinformation and how common it is in massage in particular. Right. Um, or maybe it was a massage therapist who was presenting, one of our PhD pals who basically said like, so this is like particularly rampant. And they did it in a super diplomatic way. But like, if you were listening, they were saying like, so this is part of why we struggle because we're willing to believe just about anything. And we don't know how to vet information and really decide like, wow, those people are really nice. And also, I don't know that I support what they're saying about whatever it is that they're selling or service or offering or whatever it is. I'm curious, one of the notes that I made about um, 
and I want to get to some of the other presentations because day two um, did lift my spirit somewhat. Um, but uh, one of the things that Dr. Murray said that I heard people talking about, and this is a thing that, again, new eyes, right? Like at HealWell, we spent the last two years looking at how the systems are broken. And one of the systems being human neurology, right? And just the things that we run away with. And that because this was said by a person who is one of the program directors at our nation's integrative health organization, people went, wow, I'd never thought of it like that. Like, that's really brilliant. And I was like, is it? And what he said was that um, one of the reasons that we focus on disease is because health is complex. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's it. Um, <laughs> because a disease is also real complex. Cause it's not like we figured out disease cause it's so simple. Right. And, but it's also because humans aren't wired to be proactive. Like health feels like if you want to say health feels harder to achieve, maybe. Okay. But people were like, wow, you know, if we thought about like the complexity of health, like we'd really be heading somewhere. And I'm like, but wait, no, get, oh, I wish there was a microphone so we could all ask some questions. Cause that I, but everybody was like, that was amazing. But what, what does he mean by health? Well, there was quite a bit in his conversation and in his presentation about sort of that, hmm. what is health, right? And that it's not just the absence of disease. And, and of course, this is, again, the line that has been touted for, you know, 15, 20 years from NCAM and then NCCIH that we really, we really need to shift our system toward promotion of health and prevention of illness. And, um, but that, you know, even prevention of illness, it's almost like it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist, but um, just as people don't understand what that means, I think people don't also understand <laughs> this other piece. What is it about, I'm curious what you think, and, and I realize I'm asking you to speculate and do hearsay or whatever, but what is it about that statement that you think resonated so hard with people? <laughs> I think, I think it's all hard. I think that you know, it is, we don't understand nearly as much as we think we do or wish we did about the human body, about, you know, when I was listening to him talk about the complexity of, of really studying sort of humans in their natural environment, where we actually take into account social, political, economic determinants of health and looking at all of these pieces that like, I think it just, it, it felt to me like he was saying, but now we figured it out because we have to look at, we have to look at health and not be afraid of its complexity. And so don't worry, we're moving away from disease and we're moving toward health. And so it's hard, but stay tuned. That's how it felt to me is that he was saying like, this is why it's been so hard up till now, but we've, we've cracked the code. I think it let people off the hook. Um, mm -hmm. yep. I think, that. I think saying that um, health so I, it comes back to capitalism, right? But capitalism doesn't care about health. It certainly doesn't care about proactive stances. It cares whether or not you're functional enough to work. Um, and saying we need to be proactive means taking time off of work in order to not be sick. And it means staying home when you are sick instead of going into the office and coughing on everybody and making everybody else sick, right? That's not, it's not how we've thought for, it's not how we've ever thought ever. Um, and Massage therapy prides itself so hard on the idea that we are a nice thing and a helpful thing and a thing that you do first. And um, like, we can help you later, but like, you know, do, do this day one and then maybe you won't have to do that stuff later. Um, preventative medicine, we love preventative medicine. Uh, and saying that like what you're trying to do or have been trying to do is really hard lets you off the hook for not having accomplished what you think you should have yet um and lets you off the hook for for typing up little cards that say things that are ridiculous like um and calling that business and medicine and progress and chasing your tail is progress because it's hard and um I think that everybody was like, oh, it's okay that we haven't made progress yet. That, and, and the progress that we have made, you know, we fought really hard for it and that makes it totally okay that we, you know, took five steps forward instead of running a mile.
Um, yes, that's what I think happened. And you know, when that, when that happened in the room and you heard kind of the collective, oh, and you saw oh, the not the head nodding. And I was really struck with what, um, you know, Cal and I who had been talking to a massage therapist a couple weeks ago, who was sharing the story of their, one of their students had said, well, I, I want my practice to only be with healthy people. <laughs> and, and, you know, which means if you think about it, that's going to be <laughs> two human beings in your practice that you're going to be able to massage that qualify as healthy and, <laughs> and better massage them as many times as you can before they come before they get sick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I, I wonder how much of that, like collective aha moment that some of us were, have already reached of there are varying degrees of disease and health and really what is health and really what is disease and this idea of the definition of health and the definition of disease, I think for most people is still mind blowing. And the idea that it's complex was for some reason, maybe the first time they had actually come face to face with that concept. And I would, I would imagine a lot of the folks that we work with who are in the hospital for one reason or another in other metrics might be considered healthy. I mean, it, it is all perspective and it's a moving scale and it's, and it's, oh, dare I say it's complex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I feel like there were so many things that, um, again, we've been ruined by what I feel like I'm really lucky to, um, be with every single day with, um, thinking out loud with all of you people and the people who are in our interdisciplinary community that like, you know, this idea that so many of the researchers said temporary relief from whatever massage provided temporary relief. And I, I don't know why we're the only people talking about, there is not an intervention out there that isn't temporary and that nobody is saying like, yeah, also oxycodone provides temporary relief. Leg braces provide temporary relief. If you take them off, they don't help. If you stop taking your oxycodone, you're going to have pain. And that this is somehow a shortcoming of massage that like the, the big study will be when we figure out how to massage in a way that one in a month is all you need and you're, you're great. And, you know, I, I would really love to have seen some of the, I don't know, some of the inaccurate stories that we just willingly tell exposed and to have somebody say like, so massage provides temporary relief which is actually true for things that are standard of care. And so some of our research needs to go in the direction of exposing this lie that we're all chasing that somehow if we do it right, massage will provide better than temporary relief. I was encouraged by, there were a few speakers who talked about uh, things that didn't go according to plan in their research and acknowledged it and said, this is what we thought was going to happen and something else totally other happened or, yes. or, you know, acknowledging either mistakes or just acknowledging that this didn't go the way that was planned and how amazing that was. Yeah. And I feel like that is a, that is a thing that like people in research now are like starting to believe that that's true. Right. And sort of like a philosophical way, because I was talking with some folks from MTF about that later when I said, like, when that person stood at the podium and said, we don't know what happened. And it's so exciting. And here's like the five new questions that came out of like, there was a result, but it's not at all what we thought it was going to be. And, and they were all like, well, yeah, of course you have to say when it doesn't work. And I'm like, mm, you're right. And people don't, you know, that's not a thing. Like if we, if we got funded and we had a, a null hypothesis or, you know, and I think if you really have like, if nothing happens, if there's sort of no effect, then you're really, you stand no chance of getting published. And, and you're not going to say out loud in front of a room full of other researchers that nothing happened. At least if something different happens, you can be like, wow, that's interesting. But the unabashed and sort of excited way that this particular researcher who will have on the podcast, um, was like, that was crazy. Like, I couldn't believe that this happened. And yeah, I, I think you're totally right, Laura. Like that's, that was really great modeling that I think went over a lot of people's heads. It didn't go over our heads, we cheered. We did, Loudly. we totally cheered. Just so Loudly. <laughs> <laughs> it was a happy heal well moment. It was. 
Well, and I, you know, when I was doing my survey, I was thinking about how, you know, you would think that this person paid me off because, you know, I don't typically give like a five unless it was really kind of amazing. And I kind of gave this person fives down the road because their research is research that I don't usually care about. Like she was rubbing rat butts, right? Rat legs and like looking at muscle fibers and actually like killing rats because they had to grind up their muscle tissue and break apart the, you know, I mean, the science behind it was amazing, except for the killing of live things, which again, Mm -hmm. maybe a whole nother episode, but I was like, oh, okay. Like here's another rat rubber, right? Um, Because there is a whole branch of massage research that involves providing all sorts of different types of massage to rats. Um, But she did an incredible job of saying, and here's why this matters. We're doing this because we want to see if we can help older people and people who are deconditioned from being in a hospital bed regenerate muscle tissue better or faster through massage therapy. And like, I would never have figured that out if she hadn't said like, this is the point of this research. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind rat rubbing, Um, which certainly I had already met this person at the conference and we had had some offline conversations that allowed me to sort of be a lot more open to what she might've been researching. But I thought she did such a great job of attending to all of the levels of scientific knowledge and practical knowledge in the audience to really say like, this is what we're doing. And if you want to totally nerd out, I'm going to talk about cytokines and stuff like that for a few minutes, but then I'm going to bookend this little section with, and this is what this could mean to your practice. If we can figure out kind of why this happens or how to replicate it. Yeah. So that, that section was called um, the latest science on muscles and massage. And uh, I read the schedule before we went in and I got to that title and I was like, it's the nervous system. Can we move on? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know why. I don't know why any of this is in here. I can't believe we're still talking about this. This is so dumb. And then, um, and then we met Esther and then she did her presentation and it was glorious. Um, And I got to nerd out, which was awesome. Um, And halfway through Cal leaned over and they were like, you're going to explain this to me later. Right. And I was like, absolutely later, but not yet. Um, And I, like, I stopped taking notes. Like, you know, a presentation is really good when I just fail to take notes because I'm so enraptured by like all of the slides and all of the pictures and everything she had to say. Um, Turned out to be the best presentation all weekend and made me feel so much better about day one. Um, And uh, she has so many more questions about what happened. Um, And I'd like to say that the thing that happened that she was like, I have no idea what happened they massaged one leg of these rats and then measured differences in size afterwards. And the left leg and the right leg um, both got larger. And she was like, we have no idea why they both did. We didn't even touch the other leg. We didn't even touch the other, we have no clue. Um, and I've, I've never I've never really heard a researcher say that before and certainly not on microphone. So that was pretty cool. Well, and certainly now I'm biased toward Esther because I have <laughs> so enjoyed talking with her and just sort of her overall perspective, right? And also that she is a PhD supervisor for people who are going to help advance the massage profession um, through that um, that channel. But the other thing that that I love that, I mean, you can't fault other presenters for sort of not having this, but this is something that I think is essential to the future of research is that she was delighted to not know. Like you could see in her face that she was like, you guys, when we saw this, we were like, holy cow. And like, she wasn't disheartened. She wasn't like, oh, the study was a waste. She was like, we have now been inspired to ask questions. It never would have occurred to us to ask. And I think so much of what we do in research is trying to prove a thing that we hope is true. And so if the research doesn't prove the thing, then we want to hide it. We want to, we think, oh God, we had the wrong hypothesis. We had, you know, like, and uh, Jeff or not Jeff, um, Doug Nelson and I were going back and forth with quotes from like famous inventors and researchers, you know, Einstein and, and, and um, Edison and stuff who, who said things like, you know, I haven't failed. I've just learned 10,000 ways that don't work. And that like, when you're truly curious, that's when we're going to get the stuff that's really useful. But the system is really rigged against actual curiosity because if you don't discover what you thought you were going to discover, then you have to slink back and maybe beg for more funding that you might not get and you might not get published. And the whole structure of how research quote advances doesn't support wrong quote hypotheses. And that is a major failing in sort of the overarching research structure. 
Well, I think that speaks to, to something I noticed within myself after the two days of the presentations that I really engaged with were were presented by folks who themselves were very engaging and excited about what they were doing, the topic, the you know this this research itself, and really helped pull me into some of the presentations that I you know looking at the title was like oh yeah whatever definitely well and I think one of the things that we talked about um throughout the I keep calling it a weekend because it was two days but it was a Thursday and Friday throughout the conference uh was the the tension between like this might be useful research but it's not useful to the advancement of the profession and struggling between like we know touch is valuable. We know that even self-massage is valuable. But there were more than a few studies that demonstrated value to the recipients, whether it was self-massage in adolescents who were doing self-shiatsu or um, minimally trained uh, retirees who were volunteers at the Mayo Clinic who were doing hand massage in the pre-surgical suite. Like, that's great. I, I am glad that those people having those surgeries got hand massage beforehand and it was clearly beneficial. But why is the Massage Therapy Foundation and even AMTA for that matter, that's supposed to be advancing careers for massage therapists, highlighting research that says you don't have to pay people. You can, in fact, you don't even have to train them that much. Couple hours of basic massage techniques and you know, infection control, give them a blue apron and off they go. And they can massage people who are headed into surgery. And I really struggle all the time with sort of, honestly, if that was happening everywhere, if every surgical suite had volunteer hand massage therapists and there were paid massage therapists everywhere else. Awesome. I'm not trying to limit the amount of touch, but I think we have to be really careful about how loudly we shout about how unimportant massage therapists are, or at least we're not, there's no, there was no distinction between massage and the value of practitioners of massage. And I feel like that is a place that if we don't put that in the research agenda, we are going to find ourselves definitely out of a job. Well, I was interested during uh, the Brent Baer's presentations about all the different research going on at Mayo and how he, he went kind of through a history of way back 20 years ago, starting the, the, the research and, and one thing led to another to another. And he started the presentation off with saying that, you know, you really have to be clear about when you're doing research and then you want to be able to take this research back to a department to say, hey, this is valuable. We're bringing a service pony up some money and and the department has to be engaged from the beginning they're going to you know rather than being yeah this is a fabulous research project we don't have anything and i thought that was you know that was a good point to be made to folks who are, are just getting into research and how can it be useful to me is being aware of the surroundings that you're going to try to use this research in to further a practice further services. And, and again, and I think going back to Cal's point of how do you market yourself and say, I am bringing this value as a licensed massage therapist or certified massage therapist, whatever it is that your title is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that one of the things that really came clear to me in a way that it hadn't before, because we we have the good fortune of being um, very collegial with the folks at Nationwide Children's and at Children's of Philadelphia and even folks at Mayo and uh, everybody who was there. Like, I feel like we could easily walk up to them and say, like, so tell me more about this study or like, you know, this study is concerning because of X, Y or Z. And one of the things about places, honestly, like Nationwide and Mayo and the big hospitals is that they're not in the fight that we're in right? They just want their patients to do better. They're not thinking about how to advance careers for massage therapists. And so when I, when I actually spoke with the, uh, the MT who was sort of tasked with presenting the study about the volunteers, um, because she wasn't directly involved in that study, she said, you know, Dr. Bauer wanted to do this study and the massage therapists who are on the payroll as employees um, through the integrative program at Mayo were all too busy to participate. 
And so he reached to the Caring Hands program and said, you know, we can do this with volunteers. And what he was trying to show is that massage can help. He's not thinking if we show that massage helps provided by people who don't know anything about massage, it doesn't really help massage therapists who are biting and scratching in less established hospitals or less established programs to, to make a case for themselves. Um, and so like, I hesitate to bring those studies. Like if we're pitching to a hospital administrator, I'm not going to bring a study that says this happened with volunteers or that nurses or social workers did this. Cause they're going to go, well, why would I hire you? I already have nurses. I already have social workers. I already have volunteers. And I, I feel like it's kind of not super thoughtful that there were, I think, at least three presentations yeah. that came from that perspective. And if this is a massage therapy focused event, it should be thinking about massage therapists. And I feel like um, there wasn't any discussion around that. And that that kind of makes me think about Corey and I were talking about research literacy and, and how, you know, sometimes when you when you're quick trying to grab research to bolster a point that you want to make to an administration. You really need to take the time to understand what you're reading because sometimes what happens is an abstract does not match really the presentation of the the uh, the numbers. And I'll let Corey speak more about that. But I, I, I think that, you know, you really have to, like Cal said, know your audience, know what you are trying to advocate for and judiciously use the research that you do understand. Uh, yeah, so I um, consider research abstracts as advertising, straight up. Um, and we all know advertising isn't really the most honest, sort of forthright, reality-based um, choice to make, I guess. Um, so people know that you only read the abstract. They absolutely are aware of that. Um, and they write abstracts so that you will cite their papers. And that's just business. That's just business in academia. Like publish or perish, you need people to cite you or you will not make it and you will not research anymore. Um, and I don't necessarily fault people for that, but for people who are using that research, like you really need to know what's in there and what's maybe written in a way that's not quite true um, or not uh, presents itself as something that it's not. Um, you can't just read abstracts, but, Interestingly enough, as we were at this research conference, Carrie Jordan was reviewing a grant application and um, she did what she was supposed to do and what she had been told to do. And she went through every citation in that paper, um, which was, I think, 103 and read the papers and found that some of them were citing things that didn't exist or they somebody had like stamped a number and then put a citation and clearly never read whatever the paper was. And this is a grant application for like $175,000. Like it's not a paltry amount of money. So it happens at all levels. Like research literacy is hard and research is hard. And at the end of the conference, like Jeffrey Bove got up there and said straight up, research is hard. It's real hard. And this is why, and this is why uh, he didn't say it out loud, but I got the feeling that it, it, it was in response to people going to research conferences and getting that cheerleading feeling and getting that feeling of, I can totally do this. And I'm a massage therapist and I'm interested in research and I can rub rats. By the way, those rat rubbing videos were just absolutely adorable. Um, so cute. So they were cute. So cute. Um, like I wouldn't mind, you know, rubbing some rats in that case. Um, they were very affectionate. Anyway, uh, but he said, here's what happened when we tried to do the study. And like, not only did COVID happen, so that causes problems, but he's like, how many of you want to participate in research having been to this conference? And probably 80% of the room raised their hands. I would like to know that I did not. Um, Cause I was like, I know where you're going with this one. <laughs> like, No, I do not want to participate in your research. And he was like, okay, the number of you that will actually do this, and he did this like little handshake motion. Um, he was like, it's not, it's not a lot of you. And here's why he was like, in order to participate in this research, you have to move to Maine first, because that's where the rats are. Um, you have to give up your practice. You have to give up your family. You have to work for not a lot of money because we don't get a lot of money. Um, you have to be very rigorous in what you're doing and the reports you're making. You have to show up every day. You have to do all of these things and it's a huge sacrifice and we know that and that's why you're not going to do it. 
and that's okay because there are other ways for you to be involved than rubbing little rat small intestines. Um, yeah. yeah. Which I, I appreciated so much. Definitely. I, well, and I feel like that was probably my favorite panel of the whole presentation of the whole two days, because it was, I mean, it should have been much sooner <laughs> if you ask mm -hmm. me, but each there, so it was, it was Dr. Jeff Bove. It was Nikki Monk, Ambler Kennedy, Sammy's able, and there was one mm -hmm. other, oh, and Doug Nelson. And they each just kind of got up there and said like, cause there was a lot of talk about like, if you want to help get a PhD. And I just like my blood pressure just kept rising. Cause I thought like, that's, there are lots of other ways to help. Like if you feel drawn to getting a PhD, great, go for it. And Nikki Monk, I think did a great presentation of like, so a PhD is one way. And if you're considering a PhD, here are some questions you should ask yourself and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, I think Sammy talked about the practice-based research networks and how that, that infrastructure finally, again, like if you want to see a place where we haven't been chasing our tails, it's been slow progress, but the PBRNs, they were first talking about those in Seattle, like 10 years ago. And now there's like a, there's actually something starting to happen with that. So the people can really get involved on sort of a, a smaller level. Um, you don't have to get $150,000 and like, you know, have all these things in place to, to contribute usefully to the body of research. Um, and Ambler Kennedy talked about just, I, I feel like it was a reality check at the end of a, an otherwise kind of high level uh, conference. And each of them did their own part to kind of say like, there are many ways to get involved. And also you may decide that you don't wanna get involved. And that doesn't mean that research is irrelevant, but here's kind of what's real about where we are now and where you might be in your practice and, and what it really means to get involved. Well, that's, I, I feel like I didn't need to go to the conference because I got like the whole, the whole hot wash from you all. Um, but I mean, before we wrap up today, I wonder if, if there's any like final thoughts or um, like one sentence takeaway or thing to remember for folk. Well, before you offered that, I was going to say the one thing that I didn't mention is that um, Alison Whitehead, who is a very smart and um, incredibly valuable person in the sort of VA momentum and as it relates to massage, um, you know, talked again about how probably six years ago now that the VA created a job code, a federal job code for massage therapists. And nobody knows, I think, that that job code is the very lowest, like, common denominator for massage therapists. It doesn't even include specialized training in working with veterans, PTSD, trauma-informed care. It's 500 hours, licensed, background check. Like, I mean, it's sort of like board cert, honestly. Like it's it's a low bar and, and that there's not real momentum within the VA to elevate it. And I mean, I understand their their challenge. If If massage therapy is like the number one accessed and requested service by, millions of veterans any massage if you if you set the bar at 700 hours or you say like you have to have these they're not going to have enough therapists to meet the need and so they they said you know we're opening the door to this being a career path within the VA by setting this bar here but there's been no real like okay how do we create the ladder so that 10 years from now we can elevate the standard and still have the workforce we need to meet this demand um and so you know the untrained eye sits in that room and goes, that's amazing. There's a job code for massage therapists in the VA. And then you sort of lift up the flap and you go, oh, okay, well, great. I meet that so I can get hired by the VA. But again, we're in a different fight, I think, than a lot of other um, people across the landscape of healthcare and massage. So um, yeah, so I think my, if I were gonna give like a one sentence takeaway, it would be lift the flap. Uh, I would say that research is really hard and it's totally worth it. Yeah, I guess mine is just keep on trucking. Don't, you know, don't lose the momentum. We, we need to do, be doing all the little pieces of, of pulling more people in. Well, thank you everyone for, for being here today and um, telling us about your conference experiences and, uh, being honest about your, your hot takes on everything. Um, thank you for listening to Interdisciplinary Heal Wells Healthcare Podcast. Um, and 
we got stuff happening at at Healwell. If you are interested in um, if you're interested in more conferency type action, but you also like pajamas, consider our one day symposium, which is happening September twenty fourth. This is our online symposium. Symposium. The topic is healthcare and intimacy. We have some great speakers lined up. Um, some really interesting and valuable uh, topics to cover there. So. Um, keep an eye out for the registration information about that symposium. And if you are curious about being a super secret squirrel, and you should be because it's awesome, you can uh, check out our Patreon. That is also how you support this podcast and help us keep on trucking, as Laura said, <laughs> doing this work. Um, that's patreon.com slash interdisciplinary. And we will continue to talk about Amtrak, other conferences, um, PhDs, research, uh, funny cats, whatever is on our minds on the Healwell community, which is community.healwell.org. So thank you, Cal Cates, Laura Bryant Erner, and Corey Rivera for being here today. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.